immediately say, uh-oh, we have our work cut out for us. We really do, because um, this is, in the, in the story of the life of Jacob, this is the next, well, actually, this is the longest chapter, 55 verses, so we're not going to even read it at one sitting, because I think by the time we got to the end, you'd be off somewhere else. Um, you only have, actually, between now and the end of Genesis, you only have one chapter that's longer, and that's chapter 41, but that's primarily a chapter devoted over to the story of Joseph, and we won't be dealing with that maybe as we did back when we were there. So let's start off by reading today, then we'll have a word of prayer. But in the first segment here, we're going to read down through verse 24, all right? So give a breather there so we don't get too tired with our ears right off the very bat. Genesis 31, let's read from verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained this wealth. Or the word is literally glory. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, so when you read this next little section or listen to this next little section, I think you get this distinct impression that Laban has already changed the deal that we read about a few times in chapter 30. So if he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. Before he basically just said anything that had white or was speckled or whatever. If he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all, that the, goat, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of, from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then J uh, Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money." All the wealth or glory that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and paid in Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean, or Syrian, by not telling him that he intended to flee. 
he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So that's verse 24. Let's stop in the reading of things for there and let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. And Lord, in the mere fact that we're here with our Bibles, interested in and desirous of hearing from you, is a confession. It's a confession of our need. The fact that we recognize your great wisdom in ordaining this particular day that we might engage in corporate worship and Bible study all the things that are a part of worship, whether our giving, our praying, our giving attention to the reading of God's word, preaching the word of God, all of these different things, uh, we thank you that as we come and submit ourselves to you, we find them profitable. And we pray not only for ourselves uh, as we are the recipients of the ministry uh, of others here today, but also for those who minister. Bless those who are in the other classes now, whether in the other ABF classes or in the graded classes. Bless our pastors he ministers today. Bless any other who are ministering here with us today. Bless the um, Allens as they minister again with us today. And we pray that today will be a a great day here at Community Baptist Church. Um, Because of your presence, we know that's the most important thing. And so give us a quiet heart now, I pray. Uh, Just take away from us those things that may be profitable for us to engage in thought over, but would only distract us right now, and uh, even give us guide and direction as we wait upon you for the blessing. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen. Well, from the title of this, The Journey Home, you can see what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. Jacob, The Journey Home. Now, let's be a little accurate here, or a little more accurate. It, It is true The story of Jacob's journey home spans more than chapter 31. It it goes over into chapter 32. But most of it we have here, most of the record we have here. One of the reasons that I want to do it this way is because I want to talk about this journey and talk about some things that I think from a practical standpoint are involved with it. But the other reason is when you get to chapter 32, you have such an overwhelming aspect of that chapter and such an overwhelming aspect of something that Jacob meets up with on the journey home that it demands its own attention, it demands its own title, and that's of course the meeting with Esau. That's coming up next time. So most of the story here about Jacob and his journey home is given to us in chapter number 31. So what to talk about? Well, there are so many things in this chapter that you could talk about that it boggles my mind. But we don't have time to talk about them all. So I have selected, hopefully been led, to the thing that I think is probably of paramount practical implication for us. Um, We're always looking to be faithful and integrous with the text, but at the same time, we're looking for the application. We're looking for, all right, what's this story? God has included it in his word. What bearing does it have on me now? What bearing... What, what, what is offered in this story for us. And trying to do that in an accurate way so that you're honest with the text, 
but you're finding what it is that God has for us, that's really the, the labor that you, you engage in when you do this kind of work. Um, if, if you do this kind of work and you really draw a message out of a text that's not really there, then that's not, that's not really good exegesis. That's more on the order of what, what would be called eisegesis. But I want to talk about change. And I want to tell you from the outset, change is scary. Change happens all the time. It seems to me that change is one of the constants in life. And even the things that go for a long time and don't seem to change, they still eventually change. And most of us don't like change, to be honest. Now, sometimes you get into a situation and you, can't, you just keep saying, oh, I just can't wait for this. And what you're really saying is you're not a real happy camper where you are right now, so you're looking for change. Um, you just hope you're happy with what you get. But sometimes we do look forward to change, but many times change is a really scary thing to us. A job comes to an end, and you've been in that job for a number of years. And that's why I, you know, that, that is a really good illustration to use. A lot of people here have been through this, whether it's a change of job or you've transitioned from your working years into um, you know, what they graciously call retirement. And uh, that represents a big change. But, but job is actually a really good illustration, I think, to use here because if you think about the last 20 years in the life of Jacob, that was a big part of what he was doing there. I've pointed this out, that Paden Aram for, for Jacob is a series of, of beginnings or firsts. I mean, he has his first job. He marries his wives there. That was new in his life. He begins a home there. That was new in his life. So I don't think you have to have a, a real fertile imagination to figure out how even though Peyton Aram was far from perfect. Now, can you identify with that? Because a lot of times we find ourselves, and a job is a good example of that, in a situation that's far from perfect. And yet, in the strange kind of a way, we, we derive a certain security from that. Isn't that true? I mean, suppose you have a job. I'll keep using that example. Suppose you have a job, and the benefits are good, and you like the people that you work with. That's a, big, that's a big thing. The little town where we ministered in Pennsylvania for all those years, um, maybe the biggest employer in town was what euphemistically was called the prison industry. That, that really is what you call it, and it's strange, that terminology, but that really is what you call it. We had two maximum security prisons. And... I knew a lot of people that wanted those jobs. They were state jobs. There were a lot of people that wanted those jobs. You know why they wanted them? Because the benefits were good. That's about the only reason they wanted them. And you could listen to those people. I had a neighbor, in fact, and <laughs> he tickled me. Uh, he, he, uh, his language was a little salty. And I think one of the reasons I was able to build, build a relationship with him was because I didn't just always call him on it. He knew that it... It really wasn't my choice, but I didn't just nail him every time he said something. But I, we would talk, and he purposely, okay, there's probably somebody in here that can relate to this, so you don't have to put your hand up. But he purposefully chose the third shift. And if you asked him why, so I don't have to put up with all those people who are in here during the day. Well, I, a lot of us could probably relate to that. You know, you just kind of run your job. You were a CO, which was, you know, you were a... Uh, 
corrected corrections officer, which meant that you just sort of made sure things, the prisoners stayed where they were supposed to stay and order was maintained. But I always thought to myself, you know, if I had to get up every day and go into work and hated every minute that I spent there, to me, you can, you can have all kind of benefits and that wouldn't, that wouldn't sway me. I, I just, I would never, I don't know that I've ever stopped thanking the Lord for giving me a pursuit and a lifelong job, if you want to call it that, that I enjoyed. Now, does that mean that every day was red letter? Oh, no. You don't know anything about the ministry if you think that. But the other side of the coin is when essentially you're doing what you want to do, you love the people you do it with, that's incredibly fulfilling. So let's say, though, that you're, you're Jacob. So he's got people around him, I'm sure, that you know, he, he enjoyed. When he didn't want to be around them, he could certainly be off from them because his job was a shepherd's job. He had family there. Eh, we could argue about the benefits because Laban kept changing them. But you see what I'm talking about. There was a certain security in this. I mean, he knew he was essentially taken care of. So change. Change is what's in the air. Change is never easy. But here's the thing that I want to really talk about today. Change can be fearful. But if God is in it, even though it isn't easy and even though it can be fearful, we can trust him. He'll provide the things that we need. So we're going to look at four things that God provided for Jacob. Once again, I'll just say, I'm not trying to create an exhaustive list. I'm trying to deal with the text and find the things that are there that I think we can, we can put weight on the verses and they'll bear them. First thing is direction. So if you think about change and you think about becoming a little restive where you are and you're thinking about, do I want to move here? Do I want to change jobs? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? There's several things that kind of make up this package. First of all, is, is that something that you want to do? You, you're, you know, you're restive where you are, but you think you'd like something else better. And that equates to desire, and we know that's at the end of the statement here. We know that Jacob had the desire to do that. In fact, God had, uh, back when in the, the previous chapter, this is exactly what happens, and I pointed out to you that chapter 30 and verse 25, there's something about that verse that I think there's a little more there than maybe what we're able to totally intuit, but it says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, now this is six years earlier than where we are now in chapter 31, Give, he says, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. And this is, of course, when Laban big deals him into staying for another six years. So he's been there the 14 years, he's fulfilled his contract, he has the desire. Here's my question to you, is desire alone enough? I'll give you the answer, no. It's important, it's an important element, but in and of itself, it's not enough. He also has some idea that God eventually is going to sanction this when he's not totally sure, but he knows that because God has already told him this. Back in chapter 28, verse 15, I'm going to be with you and I, I will not leave you until I, you, you return and I accomplish everything that I promised. That's chapter 28, verse 15, I promised that I would do. But something, something's off. Something was off 14 years into it that is different now. So we've got two things going, and now we get a third added. And we've got 
the desire, that's there. We have circumstances too. I mean, if you think about this, he, God has provided Jacob now what he has totally lacked um, beforehand, and now that is there. I'm trying to see here what... Okay, so yeah, I, I have one more thought here. I know I wanted to talk about something, and I'm looking down at my paper. Where is it? It is there. So here's, here's kind of a summation of what I've tried perhaps to stumble around and say. Desire is there, but desire in and of itself is not enough. What are the circumstances that are different now? Do, do the circumstances line up with what it is that I want to do? Um, is, is, is there something that's kind of stirred the nest? And the answer to that is definitely. Look at verse 1 and 2. Jacob heard the sons of Laban saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. So it, it, it's definitely changing there. It's, it, he's kind of becoming a little bit of a persona non grata. Is, is, uh, kind of, you, you say that, nobody knows what you're talking about. So it's kind of a way of, you know, he's losing favor with them. And in verse 2, um, now it's gotten worse because it's not just the boys that are talking. It's the father-in-law himself. Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. So it's interesting that ESV, um, in an attempt, I think, just to, to make the English maybe a little bit more modern, translates this, did not regard him with favor as before. It's literally face or the way the King James renders it, which is a way to bring out that, is countenance. What's it mean? It means he can tell by looking at him that things are different. His, his facial expressions betray the fact that he's not real pleased with his son-in-law. So we have all of these things. We've got desire, we've got circumstances, even the knowledge that eventually this is something that is going to be right to do. But he, up until this point, has lacked a crucial element. And this is the thing that is the point here. And that is direction, which God now gives him in verse number 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now he's got a clear command of God. So if you think about this now and ask yourself this question, okay, I have desire, is that enough? Not necessarily. It's important I have circumstances. Does that give me the green light? Eh, maybe not still enough, but when you can go to the Word of God and you can line up all these things and the Spirit of God is directing and giving you the peace, is another topic we're going to talk about in a few moments, that this is the right thing to do, now, now you've got a different thing altogether. That's our job, folks. Our job is not to be swayed by things that are important, but in and of themselves, they're important, but maybe inadequate. And so we want to be careful for this. I think there's some really practical instruction that we can gain from this direction from God. See, God needs to be in this. If God's in it, you have security. If God's not in it, eh, you might be on your own. That's a bad place to be. You can make a mess in a big hurry. Okay, better to stay where you are and know that, that God has led you there than to make a move based on a better job offer or this or that and not know that God is really leading you to do this. I tell you, over the years, and I, sometimes I had to bite my tongue, I'd, I'd have somebody come to me, somebody that was fairly well established in our ministry, 
And they'd say, I, I had this happen several times, and they'd say, well, Pastor, we just wanted to come and let you know that we're going to be moving to such and such a place. You know, I've gotten a better job offer over there. And the first thing that I'm thinking in the back of my mind is, these people, I'm thinking of this one example, these people had kids in our Christian school, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, have you gone over there and made sure there's a church, number one, have you also checked out whether or not there's a Christian school that's close enough for you to utilize? Most of the time they hadn't. Most of the time it was just the job. Eh. You, know, you just have to tell people, well, I hope you've thought this through. I'll pray for you about this. The one fellow that I'm telling you about, and I wouldn't go any further into detail, too much word gets around, but... Um, I was really glad to see God later close that door because I thought that says this is an ill-conceived proposition and people do this all the time. So we better move on. It's important to have peace in your heart too. You know, I mean, God has the power to give you a settled calm. That's hard to put a price on right there. Or he has the power to withhold that from you, in which case sometimes we still make decisions, but... God hasn't necessarily given us that settled calm. What I'm saying is here is if God is in the change, he'll give you the peace. Now, the dream provided not only the direction, but I think peace for Jacob about the thing because he didn't have to wonder at this point, you know. Is this just, am I just kind of, you know, Laban doesn't like me anymore and his sons are mad at me and, you know, and, and he's got all these reasons that are important, but could still be wrong. He doesn't have to worry about this anymore. God's told him, it's the, now is the time. But I have to ask you this question, and it's strange to have to put this in the plural. What about his wives? <laughs> For us, I hope it's just, what about your wife? <laughs> or your husband, or you know, but not in the plural. He's got two. And I'm going to tell you, I think this is when you put some points on the board for Jacob. I mean... He doesn't always get everything right, and just like us, you know, he's, he's prone at times to kind of lean on his own ingenuity and talent. But boy, I'll tell you what, he's on target with this one. And somehow God gives him the understanding that, you know, I really need to be sure my, wife, my wives are on board with this. Let's think about this for a minute. He's been there all that time, and he has a family. Now, some of these boys are, you know, he, he worked seven years for his wives. He's been there now 20 years, so some of these kids are starting to get up into their teen years, and you think about what's out there now. You know, 450 miles is a long way, especially when you're driving flocks and riding on camels to listen to people gripe. I'm just telling you. I mean, that's a long time to hear Rachel and Leah saying, What are you doing out here? You brought us out here? And I'm thinking, you know, okay. But, you know, this, this Jacob, I mean, you know, he, he's just an interesting mix, and you have to give him a lot of credit. And the way he presents this, I've called your attention to this a couple of times. Some of his speeches are just absolutely masterful. I mean, he, 
he really knows and is led in what he's doing. So there's two things going on here. Let me give you both of them to look at, although you have your paper there, of course. But when you look down through these verses, beginning in verse number 4, until you ultimately get to verse 16, which is the red-letter verse, that's where you hear what they have to say in response to what he has said. He's got two things going on. He's got a blend. I mean, it's just like it kind of oscillates back and forth between these two things. He's got a blend of self-defense. In other words, what I'm doing is justified. You know it's justified. He's changed my wages 10 times. Back in chapter 30, he agreed that everything that was spotted or speckled or whatever, now you read this and he said, well, you're getting a little too prosperous over there. It'll just be the speckled. Then he looked at things and said, well, it's all the speckled's what he's getting. I better change to the spotted. Or he looked at that and he was doing well with that. So he said, no, I'm going to change over. I mean, well, how would you like to work for somebody like that? That's not really very good. So he, he blends this in and he, and he basically, but it's masterful in the sense that as he's telling this, it's not just all beating on Laban. It's not just all defending myself at Laban's expense. It's weaving and honestly weaving, not 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 just sort of, you know, building on a house of cards. There are honest references in this to God to show that he is not only justified in his actions, but he is being led by God. That's what wins his wife's heart on top of the working of God in their hearts as well. So you can look at these verses again. Verse 5, he mentions God. I see that your father does not regard me with favor. There's the, your countenance idea again, as he did before, but God. Verse 7, yet your father has cheated me. There's the element of self-defense. Changed my wages ten times. I don't know whether you say that's a rounded number or what, but it, <laughs> if he has to round something to ten, it's not good. But God did not permit him to harm me. There's God again. Verse 9, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father. Verse 11, then the angel of God, and as we read this, we find out that it's, it's God himself. Jacob, and he, God is speaking to him. Verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So watch what happens when you get to the end. It's interesting that when you read in verse number 14, it says, Rachel and Leah answered. And Rachel's name is first, so I don't know whether that means that she's the lead wife or she's um, the spokesperson. But they're together in this, and um, it's pretty obvious that they've um, figured out their father themselves at this point because they throw a little phrase into verse 15. Notice this. Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? Look at this. For he has sold us and has indeed devoured our money. So they weren't quite looking at what happened 20 years before when all of this was done. And... He had to work seven years, of course, but the, you know now it's kind of, well, he just sort of used us for his own ends, which I've sort of indicated to you as we've looked at some of this, that, that 
seems to pretty much be the case. I don't think he was looking out for Leah and Rachel when he substituted Leah in the beginning. He might have been able to appeal to the custom that he appealed to, but I think he was looking out for himself. If he were really looking out for Leah and Rachel, he would have never put them in this kind of a situation what led to all of that disharmony and strife and jealousy and all those things we talked about that eventuated into that home. So I don't have a whole lot good to say about Laban. Um, He's not real impressive, but I will tell you this. When you get to this verse 16, and they come up with this statement, now then whatever God has said to you, do. I mean, that, that's music to a husband's ears who's really trying to, to do the right thing, but he realizes he needs to win his wife's heart. I mean, you know, that, that just... You, you, you can hardly put a price tag on that verse and what it says. But it isn't totally the result of Jacob's skill, his oratory. It is that, and give him credit where credit's due but it's God working in their hearts because this is big change for them too. They are leaving everything they have ever known as home and going to go to a place that they don't know and to people that they don't know. But they're on board 100%. Folks, I don't know if you can get get into this, but to me, that's huge. I mean, this is, in some ways, you know, this is your job as a pastor in a church. You have a job to figure out what God wants. And sometimes, you know, you'll have, sometimes you have the support of good men in that. Hopefully you do. But a lot of times, a lot of times you'll, you'll get the feeling, and sometimes it really is this way. You're, you're kind of by yourself. It's, it's your job to sit there and pray and figure out what God wants you to do and how he wants you to lead that flock but you've got to somehow win their hearts. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter how much you know from God about the direction you're supposed to go. If you bumble the thing and you don't have God to touch their hearts and win their hearts, I mean, you can just get into a lot of trouble this way. So this is priceless what happens here. The peace that's necessary for people to have to move forward with a big, important action. And uh, so, but our time is going, so we better go to number three. So we have some reading to do. Verse 25, And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, We have done that... What have you done that you tricked me and uh, driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you secretly, uh, flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons? This guy's riddled with hypocrisy. I'm, I'm sorry, I have to give you that commentary. <laughs> why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, because you have longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? (laughs) And Jacob answered and said 
to Laban because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So just remember that you heard that. Now Jacob did not know. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent. Can you just see this guy? But did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry. So this, this is another of Jacob's speeches, and there's, <laughs> there's not much answer to this. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. That what you ha- have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it from my hand. You required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by the day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and watch this, and rebuked you, yes, last night. I think he's spot on with that analysis. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. The flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. What an arrogant individual. And how obvious it is that his sense of the source of blessing is so different than what Jacob's is. But what can I do this day for these, my daughters, or for their children whom they have borne? Come now. This is a real shocker. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set up a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it, this is a real tongue twister, Jigar Sehadutha. I think I'd rather go with Hebrew than Aramaic. But Jacob called it Galid, so there's the Hebrew. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me, therefore he named it Galid, there's the Hebrew for it again, Uh, and Mizpah, Mizpah means watchtower, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God as witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set 
between you and me, this heap is a witness. This is Laban. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Okay, so here's the third ingredient that really is necessary. And one of the reasons that we find change fearful is because of all the things that change can involve. And Jacob admits to this, verse 31, when Laban calls him on why you stole my household gods, of course, Jacob doesn't have any knowledge of that. So he doesn't really respond to that. But he does respond in a way that I think is somewhat honest for how he was feeling. He, he was fearful. And who wouldn't be, really? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any problem with that admission. In fact, I, I think anybody would have been fearful. I think Laban was, a, was unstable, undependable, and unpredictable. And that's, you know, that's enough to give you some anxiety problems. Um, so he's dealing with unpredictable people that are already unhappy with him. We, we commented on that in the first two verses of the chapter, but he's also has the, uh, he also has Esau, you know, he's not going to get back home without having to deal with that. I'm having to speed up here some. But he's not only dealing with unpredictable people, which is really a, 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 an aspect of the unknown, what are people going to do? But he's dealing with the real unknown, not only the trip itself, but especially, and I wanted to call this out when we read it, Laban's theft of the family, our version translates it, household gods. These are the so-called teraphim. Teraphim is the word in the original. And you can't think of a tariff. I guess you could. But you can think of a seraph. Right? You know that word? The seraph. Seraph is one. Seraphim is more than one. The I am on the end is the Hebrew plural. But teraphim only occurs in the plural. So that's the only way we really know this word, teraphim. What on earth were these teraphim? And what in the world was Laban doing with them? That's a good question. They were household gods. They were like little figurines. They're like you'd set them up on the shelf. Now here's the question. If you can make them and set them up on a shelf, how are they going to help you? And this, to me, is the, is the foolishness of idolatry. But, you know, we, we pull the same thing. We don't put little figurines up on the mantle or whatever, but we have other things that we've manufactured and that we put our faith in, and it's just as foolish. I mean, there's a lot of discussion among commentators, and there's a number of different ideas. Some people think that he was upset about this because the teraphim offered him protection, and you know he, he felt like having them afforded a certain protection over his household, so now he's upset about that. Maybe a better idea is something that actually came to light in some excavations in which they had, some of you will have heard of this before, in which they discovered the so-called Nuzi tablets. Now, the Nuzi tablets are from the 15th century, so they're earlier, but they may give us some insight into this particular, or they're later, I should say. They may give us some insight into what's going on here because what that little piece of information from those excavations turns up is, is that the person who was in possession of these household gods 
had the stronger, if not the claim, to the family inheritance. Now do you begin to see, based on Rachel's speech before, what she says about he's stolen everything that's ours, all of this belongs to our children, is there anything left for us? He's treating us like foreigners. So she makes off with the teraphim. This would also potentially explain why it is that Laban at the end of the chapter is so hot to trot for a covenant between the two, a covenant that ensures protection. He doesn't want Jacob coming back. I mean, this is sayonara. <laughs> you know, I mean, th this is not like, well, I understand you've been away 20 years and it would be get good to get home and, and um, see Isaac and so forth. But, you know, the door's always open. You know, this one's more like don't let the door hit you on the way out. So he's dealing with the unknown. He doesn't know that Rachel has stolen these things and when, when, when Laban gets upset about it, he thinks that, that it's all just another one of Laban's tirades and he says he, un, he inadvertently doesn't know what he's done. He inadvertently pronounces a death sentence on his wife. What do you think? I mean, is it good that God protects us from the unknown? Is it good that God's out there in front of us? And if you don't know God's out there in front of you, if you don't know that God is in this, you see all the kinds of things that we're exposing ourselves to when we make a move and we don't know that God is in it? This is why this is so important because God's security or protection affords us security. Or, and um, so he has that promise. He has basically everything he needs. Well, we have just a couple minutes to talk about this last and this, this might be a little difficult for us to see at first, but I think you'll catch this. But we've talked a lot about this because we're talking about in this study, Jacob, the struggle for blessing. And this thing keeps going back and forth between Jacob realizing that God is the source of blessing and Jacob relying on Jacob. And that's why I pointed this out about Laban, how he's so arrogant. He has such a, you know, when he makes those claims, I just, I'd be afraid to utter those words that he utters about everything here is mine, as if somehow it wasn't, there's no God involved in this. But you see just a little bit of the old self coming out here. I mean, there's a word play that unfortunately the ESV doesn't bring out. You will find this in the King James, but uh, if you read in verse 19, I kind of have to be real quick with this, but it said, Laban, or it says here, so you do have the word with Rachel. Rachel stole her father's household gods. And the next verse tells us Jacob tricked, but it's literally Jacob stole away. So it's the same word in Hebrew, and it means to steal. So there's a kind of a word play going on. She stole, he stole away. It's like they're all, you know, like us. They've all got their stratagems. They've all got their little wiles. And Rachel's looking to give herself a little extra protection since she's kind of seen what her father is like. Anyway, this is why I say this, what you hear now in verse 44 to me is an amazing, amazing change. I think when Jacob says, I was afraid, I think he really was afraid. I think when God appeared to Laban and said, don't even think about looking cross-eyed at him. 
I think it betokens the fact that it certainly was within Laban's power to, to do what Jacob feared. I don't know that he would have harmed them, but he could very well have forced their return, which is what Jacob was really concerned about. God intervenes in this, and at the end, it's like, how do you get this offer out of a guy like this? He offers to make a covenant. And as I said, it may, something here may be at play with regard to the household gods, but I just have to tell you this as we close. You know, you ever seen those little pendants, you know, those little things that um, Mizpah and boys and girls give them to each other if they're going to be, or husbands and wives give them to each other? Uh, you've seen this, hadn't you? Huh? Did you? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it's a good thought, but it probably isn't what's really going on here. This Mizpah, this watchtower, is not so much a warm, cuddly feeling of between the two of them is as much as it is. This betokens the fact that God's watching. You don't come over here, I don't come over here. And by the way, folks, before we close, I'll make mention. This chapter is also important because it kind of makes a clean break. I mean, the family of Abraham that's in the land of Canaan, this is pretty much now a clean break with the family that was in the was in Syria. This, boom, the door is closing here. So I think that this is an object lesson to Jacob. If, if, if God can work in people's hearts and change their hostility and bring good out of, out of, out of potential evil, then what's that do? What's that say? That strengthens my face. That proves to me, you know, if I do what God wants me to do, even though I'm scared, if I do what God wants me to do, even though it represents the unknown, God proves himself faithful. If you found that to be true, it can be daunting and scary. But if God is in it, that's the key question. Father, bless us as we dismiss and go into the next service in Christ's holy name. Amen.